You're listening to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue with Adam Bartels. Welcome to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue. I, like all of you, have been witnessing what's been happening throughout our nation over the past several weeks, and I'm just completely heartbroken and even discouraged to see what I've been seeing, the continued um, systemic racism, the unfair, unjust treatment of our African-American brothers and sisters. And so I felt it so important to use this podcast, this platform uh, that we have here to hold what could be the most important uh, topic, discussion that this podcast has ever had. Uh, to help walk me through that, it is my privilege, uh, my honor to welcome back to the Full Steam Ahead podcast, the Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion at Purdue University, Dr. John Gates. Dr. Gates, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Adam. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I'm doing well, and I trust you and your listeners are as well. Yes, we are. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. It's such a huge uh, topic, and I appreciate it. Uh, of your time. I know you're a busy man, and I know we've been kind of trying to organize this, uh, this discussion for a couple of weeks now, but I find it uh, ever so fitting and no accident that this, uh, this episode will be going out on uh, Juneteenth as a, a very important date uh, as well. So um, let's just dive right in. I want to do as little talking as possible because, again, part of this discussion, I think it's important that we do a lot more listening uh, than talking, especially us as uh, white Americans and just hearing uh, what you have to say, what you have to share. So let's jump right into it. I just want to kind of start by giving you the stage, so to speak, on to share your thoughts, um, what you've seen over the last few weeks, uh, the unfortunate uh, killing of uh, George Floyd, and just um, everything that's been on the news. Just kind of wanted to hear your, uh, your thoughts on what you've witnessed in this climate we are currently living in. Thank you, Adam. I think it's uh, really important for us to call four names today. Um, in addition to George Floyd, uh, there was Breonna Taylor and before her, um, Ahmaud Arbery, um, and most recently, uh, Rayshard Brooks. There have been four killings of uh, unarmed, ostensibly unarmed uh, African-Americans uh, by the police um, in the last two months. Between 2015 and 2017, there were over 150 such killings. In that time as well, we had the Pulse nightclub, uh, which was a massacre of black and brown LGBTQ uh, plus persons. Uh, and we also had the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in um, Charleston, South Carolina. Those things were tragic and horrific and shook Black America to its core. And many of us, uh, Adam, uh, in order to survive um, that time, in order to just have the energy to get up and the psychological um, uh, wherewithal to make it through a day, had to suppress the feelings we had about uh, the horror that we were uh, seeing in America and about the fear that we all shared. And then came um, the really horrific killing of um, uh, our brother. And um, it shook us again to our core. It shook us out of our sense of comfort and stability. Um, it shook America, it shook the world. The the brutality, the 
lack of humanity, the seeing of black people as less than, um, to have someone's knee uh, on one's neck um, for eight minutes and 46 seconds, right? Uh, 10 seconds, it's too long, but imagine what that is. Um, all that time, all that anger, while he lay there crying, I can't breathe, and crying for his mother who had already died. He knew that he was dying. Yet people observing and shouting to the police, he can't breathe, let him, let him up. And they would have no mercy. Many of us have believed white, black, and brown alike, less so black, however, that America had gotten to a point uh, where these racial divides um, uh, did not exist uh, as dramatically as we've seen them. The reality is that these racial divides have existed. They do exist. They exist in our institutions. They exist in our um, uh, politics. They exist uh, in our corporations. They exist everywhere. Many of us uh, feel, uh, people feel, that as long as I'm not a racist, I'm doing my job. And the call of the day is that that is an insufficient condition to, um, to heal the wounds of the nation, uh, to be the shining light that Purdue has the possibility to be for the world in this space, um, nor is it a suitable condition for what it means to be human. I agree with you. And I'm glad you mentioned the other names as, as well. It's important to point out that this is, it's not just one person. It's, it's been countless. and. Uh, one is too many, and um, thank you. But the reality of, of that, of that, uh, Adam, is that it was four, and there were four too many, and there are many more. But it was, by extension, every black person in the country, right? We were all one in that moment, and one now, right? It was as though there was a knee on each of our necks. And so we lived that experience in a transformational sort of way, right? Um, we were transposed uh, into that moment. And so if you can imagine that people went around with a sense of um, terror and trepidation that their breath is being taken away, their life is being taken away. It's, it's very, very real um, in many senses. And you mentioned too that you know, we, we get comfortable, or people start to believe, I'm not a racist, everything's fine, and then these incidents come back around, and it just, again, further shows that there is still so much uh, room to grow and to go, correct? That's correct. Um, you know, most of America is not racist, right? Um, we're good people. We love everybody, we treat everybody uh, right. We try to um, dignify every life. But our systems and our structures don't do that, right? And so is it sufficient to, be, to not be racist and to see racism happening all around you, right? And to not, to not speak up, it's the conversation now about 
what it means to be anti-racist versus not racist. Not racist is a very passive position. We can all be that, right? Being anti-racist means that we recognize that racism exists, that it exists um, virtually everywhere. And what I mean by that, uh, you know, we're living through this COVID-19 time right now, right? We are learning about germs, we're learning about infection, we're learning about how to wash our hands. Well, think of racism as being like germs. It, um, it's ubiquitous. We are all susceptible uh, to its impact. It um, lingers on and beneath surfaces and in the air. And uh, like germs, it, um, it grows exponentially in darkness, right? Many of us have been lulled into this false sense of security um, out of a preference to live in darkness because the light um, is so bright, right? Um, racism needs a bright light shined on it in every space. And hopefully uh, we're gonna be better as a nation uh, because of uh, the life and death of George Floyd and all the other uh, countless uh, people who have gone on before them. We continue to say that we hope this will never happen again, but it will happen again repeatedly unless we do something to change it. And that is standing up uh, and being accountable. That is um, anti-racism. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that. Like you said, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to go away, but are you hopeful with what's happening over the last recent weeks that we may actually start to see some change? I am, I am. And I've been asked this question, Adam, uh, by, uh, by a number of people. And the question becomes why? Why am I hopeful, right? Because we keep seeing this. Well, I think we're at an inflection point in the nation. We thought that Parkland, uh, the Parkland shooting would be an inflection point and yet didn't, right? What is it about now that is so different? It is not that another person was killed by the police in an unarmed way. It was that we witnessed it in a prolonged, undeniable, tragic um, period of time that made us question what it means to be human, right? It's far more fundamental than race, right? Race is a target of inhumanity but it really is about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be American? What is the ethos of this country? Is this what we really do? Yes, this is what we really do and have been doing, right? So there's an awakening happening for folks um, that is um, shaking them out of a sense of comfort and security. There was a combination of Generation X, uh, Generation uh, Z, Generation, uh, the millennials, um, uh, and old folks like me coming together in solidarity saying enough is enough, right? There are politicians who are listening and watching and beginning to reshape uh, some of their thinking, but it is not enough, right? People are saying what is right in the moment. We need to know what the long-term viability of the words are in terms of turning them into action. Um, do I believe this is different? I do believe this is different. Um, I believe it's different if we resolve to make it different. Now, <clears throat> there is this way that things work. 
uh, in the country. That is, we have tragedies and uh, our politicians and others expect that uh, people will forget uh, over the course of time and they will, we will be lulled back into a sense of security and safety uh, and that we will just forget about it. This pain is too deep to forget about. This reality is too deep, Adam, to forget about. Um, and so we must act. I think also about the fact that by the year 2043, just a few years from now, America will be majority minority. Where will our institutions be um, in their ability to serve uh, the needs of the nation, the citizens of Indiana, uh, the people, right, to fulfill their promise with our deeper and broader and more uh, systematic engagement uh, with underrepresented folks, whether they are students, faculty, or staff. Um, our very survival uh, as institutions of higher education depends on us doing much better than we are. And talk about the importance and the role that Black Lives Matter plays in that. So, Black Lives Matter, I think people have a misunderstanding of what Black Lives Matter is. Um, some people think of it as an organization. Uh, it is not. Um, it is a movement. Some people think of it uh, in terms of, well, if we say Black Lives Matter, that means that all lives don't matter and my life doesn't matter. That, is, uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, everything about your life, Adam, matters. Everything about it matters. But for black folks, much about our lives just doesn't seem to matter in an American context. I want you to, to remember that black folk were brought to America in chains, on ships, grouped like sardines, literally, over a middle passage across the Atlantic Ocean. They took months and months and months. They lived in their feces and their urine, their, their bodily waste. They arrived, those that did not die came. We went through a century, century and a half of slavery. We went through a hundred years of Jim Crow, where separate but equal was the law of land. By the, by the way, during the time of our founding and up through um, more recent times, blacks were considered three-fifths of a human being. And we say that, oh, of course your black lives matter. We were codified in the nation as three-fifths of a human being. We've been trying to get over that for 400 years, right? Since we landed on the shores to the time of the founding of the country to now, we have never been considered fully human, fully equal, fully capable. Our lives are cut down in the blink of an eye because we're Black. Right? Not because we're evil, not because we, we do bad things, but because our blackness represents hate and evil to some people. 
not who we are, just our blackness. We think about the mass incarceration system and the um, thousands and thousands of black lives uh, that have been lost to differential treatment in um, the criminal justice system. We think about differential schooling and opportunity uh, that continues to happen. We think about poverty rates and the like. You know, Adam, uh, people say, but that's so long ago. Why, why should we care? Why does it matter now? Let me see. I just discovered recently, uh, over the past three months, what my history as an African-American in the country is. Many people in the country can identify what their history and heritage is. Well, people who come from slavery often have a very difficult time doing that. I didn't realize, but it makes sense to me now, that I am four generations removed from slavery. I'm the fifth generation out of slavery. My grandparents' grandparents were slaves, right? That's not yesterday, that's now. That is the pain and the struggle and the legacy of now. I'm 56 years old. I'm a PhD. I have high privilege. When I walk outside of my door, I'm like every other black man in America, disposable. That's a problem. I need not just my life to matter, but the life of every black and brown person in this country. I taught a class once at uh, a former institution, and it was on race, gender, and diversity in the engineering workplace. And I said to my students, okay, we've been studying um, stereotype threat, right? And so give me a stereotype for black. And they said fried chicken, watermelon, hostile, angry, and lazy. Give me a stereotype for Hispanic, and they said illegal. Give me a stereotype for Asian, and they said white, I'm sorry, they said um, smart and docile. Give me a stereotype for white. And they said, white men can't jump, ha ha, right? And I said, knowing what you know about stereotype threat, that we normally perform to our stereotypes as the path of least resistance, or we take the extraordinary energy to perform against our stereotypes, right? How would you perform if the normative, the, the, the normative uh, thought of you was that you were hostile, angry, lazy, or illegal, right? How would you perform? And they had to admit, not, not well. What we have in our country, in our politics, in our institutions, are systems of stereotyping people of color uh, that diminish them uh, in a multitude of ways. And it is incumbent upon all of us to be awakened to the lived realities of Black people, um, and of our role in shaping their realities, uh, both good and bad. Dr. Gates, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm obviously so much hurt and pain from the past. And you know, while I can never imagine uh, personally what you guys are going through, my heart does ache for you. So thank you for sharing that and, and pointing out that I think it's so important um, to point out the message of Black Lives Matter, like you said, what it is, it's a movement and to help those who do struggle with that all lives matter uh, mindset that uh, the importance of everything you just said. Thank you so much uh, for unpacking all of that for us. Uh, you mentioned Purdue, uh, Purdue earlier and I wanted to share a 
a statement that Purdue put out uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'll read it in part. So the events around our nation have reminded us yet again of the, the work that remains for all of us, creating a country where racism and bigotry are eliminated and where African-American men and women, boys and girls, can live without fear, be hurt with those who are hurting, and we pledge to continue to work toward a solution in which everyone is treated with civility and respect. Dr. Gates, you and I talked back on Martin Luther King Day in January, talking about um, events going on at Purdue. Um, we talked about the, um, the themes of civility, democracy, and freedom of expression. Talked about a lot of uh, panel discussions and different things going on throughout Purdue. I wanted to get your thoughts on you know, what's happened since that discussion and, and those events and um, two things, what do you, how do you think Purdue is handling these issues, you know, especially in light of what you guys did last semester there and, and what your role uh, in all that plays in those discussions? Sure. So we did have a magnificent semester last semester around democracy, civility, and freedom of expression. We galvanized the university and much of uh, Tippecanoe County uh, around uh, these conversations. We are in a different time. Um, we do have an election coming up, um, and at the same time, we've had COVID, and um, we now have uh, the protests and uh, unrest and calling, um, uh, calling of the nation um, uh, into being, right? Um, and so there are some changes. Uh, we will focus all of next year on uh, race, racism, and systemic bias. Um, and so that will, we don't have a proper theme yet, excuse me, but that will be the focus and it will be as impactful as democracy, civility, and freedom of expression. We will begin our conversations this summer uh, by having can we talk dialogues with faculty, students, and staff. Uh, we will do some faculty and staff training uh, on how to uh, effectively talk about race uh, we will uh, have in uh, August or September uh, some opening programs that will, I hope, galvanize the community as well. Um, so all of that uh, is happening at the same time. Uh, as you know, the university has um, uh, the Board of Trustees uh, affirmed uh, that black lives do in fact matter uh, and that uh, and a task force would be established. Uh, to look at issues of racial inequities. And so much of our work would be engaged uh, in that area as well. I would say this about where the university is. Um, we are a great university and we should be very, very proud of the university we are. In the domain of race uh, equity and inclusion, we are a university that is evolving. Um, we are in the midst of becoming uh, who we are called and purposed to be, right? I remind Purdue that we were founded in 1869, uh, around the same time that most historically black colleges and universities were, shortly after the Civil War, with a purpose around equity. Our purpose was to serve the citizens of Indiana, um, and particularly the farmers, right? Um, we were providing opportunity then. Um, and we maintained that land-grant mission. Our first African-American student graduated in 1894, two years prior to Plessy versus Ferguson, which is the law that established separate but equal. Purdue was doing what needed to be done 
then. During the 100 years of segregation, Purdue was one of a handful of institutions that actively recruited African-Americans into our graduate programs. Uh, uh, and they went on to educate two more generations of black scholars at HBCUs. Today, we are rooted in equity um, in that we hold tuitions flat to provide access, greater access to everybody. Uh, and uh, we have other programs. So equity is not something that is foreign to our nature. It is part of our founding identity and ideals. Um, and we're going to be reminding Purdue of that um, uh, constantly. We will explore more deeply next year our core values as an institution. We have some pretty rich core values. They are honor, integrity, respect, inclusion, growth and innovation. And we will ask the questions, how do we honor um, our responsibility as a land-grant institution to serve the people? With what level of integrity shall we approach these complex issues of, uh, of inclusion? And what sort of growth uh, shall we have through innovative means to become the Purdue that we're called to be? So we're gonna raise some pretty heavy questions yeah. over the next year. What the Board of Trustees has done, Adam, I'm very proud of, is ask the university to take a reflective look uh, at itself, right? This is not a study of the student experience. This is a study of the university's realities in relationship to the students we serve. Um, and so I expect next year to be uh, quite significant for the future of Purdue. Um, it won't be easy. These conversations, Adam, are not going to be easy. They're not going to be comfortable, right? Not at all. Um, but we are committed uh, to undertaking these conversations, to learning, to listening, to growing, and to acting with resolve. Um, that's our purpose. Good. Good. And, you know, whether at Purdue University or more importantly, nationwide, talk about what can be um, some of the first steps in the healing process and making in progress here? The first step is acknowledgement. <clears throat> acknowledgement that racism does in fact exist, that it exists in the world, in the nation, and in our institution. That we should not hide from it, but rather confront it where it is. The next step is to begin to actively live our values. I've just stated the wonders of those values, but are they a lived reality for every person in the university every day? Right? Understand that diversity is not, you know, as I say to people all the time, like, What's my diversity? What's Gates' diversity? And they'll say, you're black and you're a man, right? I'll say, yep, I'm black, I'm a man, I'm gay, I'm a father, a grandfather, a scholar, an activist, and most days a nice guy, right? My diversity is intersectional and powerful and it's just me. And so see me as my excellence, not through a lens of deficits. We must have more students of color, more black students at Purdue. That simply must change, right? And so we have to work on that. Um, we have to work on solidifying the faculty 
uh, as well. So we can do lots and lots of programs, but what the students and what the nation is calling for at this moment in time are systemic changes. Not nipping around the edges, not talk, not fluff, uh, not uh, a band-aid, but to dig deep into the systems of inequity and to eradicate them, right? Those are the things that we need to do. Each person, I would hope, would uh, vow to become not just not a racist, but to become anti-racist, to, um, to actively um, meet out um, racism uh, when it is found, to stand up, to question it, uh, to not be silent, um, uh, silent in the face of it, because we become complicit uh, in its perpetuation, right? Um, my white brothers and sisters, uh, I would ask to utilize their, their power um, and their authority and their humanity to shape new realities. I ask us all, uh, whether we are uh, black, white, brown, uh, or other, uh, to really engage introspectively. One of the things that I become really concerned about uh, with our climates and culture, Adam, uh, is the various phases of, uh, of racism that happens, right? And bias. So we often talk about implicit bias. Well, there's explicit bias, the bias that we just see and it just happens, right? And it's blatant. There's implicit, there is um, uh, unconscious. There's also internalized and externalized. I'm concerned about the weight that our climates and cultures and institution place, institutions place on black people around a sense of internalized bias. What do I mean by that? It's a belief in the validity of one's own degradation or marginalization or inferiority. Back in the day, there was the black-white doll test, right? And it's been replicated. Yeah. Basically, you show two kids, one black and one white, two dolls independent of the other, right? One doll is white, one doll is black. You say to the white child, which doll is pretty? And she says, the white doll. She chooses the white doll. Which doll is good? She chooses the white doll. You say to the black child, which doll is pretty? And she chooses the white doll. Which doll is good? And she chooses the white doll. You say to them both, uh, independent of the other, which doll is bad? They both choose the black doll. Which doll is ugly? They both choose the black doll. Which doll do adults like the best? They both choose the white doll. Which doll do you want to be? They both choose the white doll. At two or three years old, they have come to understand race and racism. They have come to develop white supremacist ideologies, right? That white is best and that black is least best. Uh, for the white child and the black child, that becomes, say, the formation uh, of their identifications with the other. For the black child, however, it becomes her identification with herself. Right, and we begin to know, we know now that that sort of thing can be from cradle to grave, this constant doubting. Am I good enough? Am I, um, am I doing my best enough, right? This, this superseding pressure uh, to be uh, what people or more than people expect me to be. Um, and having that doubt, and people will say, but everybody has doubt. Not everybody has the doubt that is my blackness a diminishment of my humanity or of my possibility, right? Um, that is something that is a powerful um, negative shaper of reality 
and we need to be uh, prepared to engage in uh, with that as well. So all of us have work to do in this, and uh, I hope that we will all step up to that plate. Amen to that. And I want to get your thoughts on this too. Uh, I know some people have called for completely defunding the police. Many, not most of the rest of America, is at least looking for um, police reform. Your thoughts on that? Sure. I believe in our systems of democracy. They are all under a microscope and they're all being challenged to do and to be their best. Our criminal justice system has failed uh, black and brown America in many ways and in many ways it is not. Um, I do not agree with defunding the police, whether it is at Purdue or uh, in the local area or in the state uh, or in the nation. I do not believe that based on the data that we have substantiation uh, that our systems are utterly broken and cannot be fixed. I think people are deeply disappointed in the police. They are deeply distrusting of the police. Um, and we need to do some things to help bridge that divide. The way we bridge that divide is by stopping the killing of unarmed African-Americans uh, by the police, of treating people with both equality and equity, right? Um, honoring the vows uh, that are taken, it used to be at one point, that the police, uh, like some other professions, uh, were revered uh, in the African-American community. Um, less so now because they have not earned that reverence. Um, we all have work to do. We all need to come into this space with open minds uh, and open hearts, but we cannot leave this space with uh, just good words, um, not with uh, good intentions. Those simply will not do. Um, not when people are dying, not when their lives are on the line, when their hopes and their dreams are being dashed, when they come to university expecting uh, to grow and excel and uh, leave feeling as though they've been beaten down um, and diminished. None of that will do. My hope is that we will all lean into this inflection point. Um, that's what I intend to do. Dr. Gaetan, thank you so much for all of this. As we kind of wrap up here, uh, again, thank you for this discussion. It's so important. Uh, anything I've failed to ask you or that you want to, to, to bring up as we, as we wrap up here? No, I would say that um, I have great expectations for Purdue. Um, I think we are an institution that America can and should emulate. Um, we have work to do. We have real hard, solid work to do. It's going to take a big commitment. Um, of hearts and minds and will and resources. But if we decide that we want to change our reality um, to that which, is, um, which honors our history and our heritage, right, and our future, we have a capacity to do it. Uh, this is gonna be perhaps as difficult, but perhaps not as difficult as putting um, Neil Armstrong on the moon, right? Um, we get to decide where our moons are. Uh, and how we're going to get there. But get there, we must. And get there together, we must as well. So I'm delighted, uh, Adam, to have had this conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Dr. Gaines. Thank you so much. Thank you for enlightening and educating me even in the last you know, 45 minutes or so we've been talking. I appreciate it. And 
Thank you for uh, sharing your, your thoughts and your emotions uh, with our listeners as well. I appreciate it. And we should uh, definitely keep this conversation going and, you know, revisit it uh, in the future as well. Excellent. All right. All right. Take care. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. A reminder, you can follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Twitter at Full Steam Pod. And you can always listen to, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and tune in. Thanks again for listening to the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Bartels.